We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. It's interesting just that time of prayer there for our brother. I've been reading recently some stuff about the church, the church corporately, and there's some little clues that are left in, uh, in the Bible. Very, if you start threading things together, it's really interesting that, that Paul goes and he, he starts churches and he appoints these overseers, these, these elders. And within a short period of time, not Paul, but those churches have spread the news so far that he's got nowhere to go. He actually said, I've got nowhere to go in various They worked out that an area of a million people within, within years was reached. And it wasn't just the act of the, the superstars, if you like, in the Bible, but it was acts of people like you and me and us. So it's exciting to think what can happen and what we can be part of. Right, good. I've called today Choose Love, but we're really picking up on the whole thing of shared life as commitment. So... Uh, we're going to whip through. Got quite a few things to cover. But there's a couple of stories that came to mind um, to start with, and I think it's going to be a thread through. I, I have to apologise. I'm a little bit jaded today because I had an 18th birthday party, not my own. <laughs> Some of you are wondering. It was a hard 18 years. Look like this. <laughs> so I hadn't quite planned for that. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hoping it's all going to come together. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, when I was younger, last year, when I was younger, um, uh, a couple of us were sent off to a youth leaders conference. And there was some folk from Argentina. And Argentina at that point was experiencing a, a major revival, renewal, whatever you want to call it. And there was this, uh, this chap called Claudio, and he was talking um, to us about that. Um, he said some very interesting things. Firstly, he thanked us for the Falklands War. Interesting starting point. He said the Falklands War meant that Argentinians, it would kind of brought them up sharp. Now, I'm, I don't know. I just found that interesting. Got my attention. Um, and then, um, but he told this story from his experience. Um, and he said that in the town he lived, there was um, a tramp, a down and out, a homeless person who everyone knew because the guy was so unclean that people literally crossed the street to walk past him. He was that bad smelling, yeah? Um, and uh, I, I really, I can't cope very well with smells. It's one of my weaknesses. So this story appealed to me in a kind of convicting sense. He said that he'd see this guy and people would cross the road, quite large roads there, cross the road to be on a walk on the other side. And he said, God spoke to him and said, Claudio, you're to go and hug that guy. So it took a little while to get to grips with it. And one day he walked up to that guy, I suspect, I should think at quite some pace, he hugged him and said, Jesus loves you, now let's go and get a shower. <laughs> the man said to him later, you're the first person to touch me in 10 years. Nobody has touched me. Not a single human being. 
I was reminded about that story, particularly as we went through lockdown and with older people who are isolated in their houses, that nobody touched them. Nobody touched them. And there's so much about the evil of what happened yeah. in lockdown. It was about separating. And we now know that actually the touching thing is good for public health. It means we don't get norivirus. But the touching thing is not a thing. It's the breathing thing. But we stopped touching people. I confess to you, I should probably turn off the camera at this point, I touched someone outside my household. One of, one of my friends... Um, his mother died. He was suffering with COVID. I went into his house and I hugged him. Because that was the right thing to do. We have to touch each other. Yeah? We have to touch each other. We have to choose love. We have to be intentional. So those things are really important. Again and again, we're going to come back to this whole thing uh, with shared life having a particular start. So these are the things, some of the things we picked up on last time, about a month ago I spoke to you. So shared life has precedence, it's happened before. Shared life has resistance about us changing the way we are in the world. Shared life as hospitality, we picked up last time. Shared, taste of a fore, uh, shared life as a foretaste of what's to come. Shared life as a witness, we're going to pick up a little bit today, but more we're going to pick up the shared life as commitment. Shared life as obedience. Um, but here's, here's the thing, it all starts here. This is a picture of the day of Pentecost and people coming out of uh, the upper room and people saying, oh, they're drunk, they're mad, what are they doing? They're all speaking in my language, what are they doing? But shared life starts as an outworking of the Holy Spirit. And if I could stop everything... And, and open our meeting and ask for tongues of fire to come on us to speaking other languages and us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I would just stop now and just say, let's just do that. Um, because that's, that's really what we want. That's the starting point. Because when God touches us, it causes us to choose to live different and to be different. There is something foolish and crazy about relationship close to each other, laying down my life, choosing to put others first. It doesn't make sense. There's something crazy about shared life. It's not natural. People like community. All the time I'm talking to people, uh, when we got things going at the harbour, people are attracted to that. I bring tours of people from Faith Action. We have people come from all over the country. We look at some of the things going on in Lifeline Projects. We look at stuff going on through... Through the hub, we look at different things. People like the community. They don't like the cost. They like the idea. My mother-in-law has a wonderful phrase. It's one of those phrases. You know sometimes people have a special catchphrase. They say part of it, but they never say the other part. And this is what my mother-in-law says. She says, many come and drink at the well. I'm concerned about what the other part should be. Do you want them to tip into the well? Many come and drink at the well. Many come and take, but there's that give and take that's really important. Right. And again, I just want to recap on this. If we're having shared life, it's going to change things. We won't be like a bunch of marbles. We'll be like grapes mushed together. Something has to change. 
grand. And just uh, in terms of hospitality last time, I know this particularly captured people's attention. Um, a small child said to me when I was leading the meeting a couple of weeks later, and I said I was really excited. And one of you had shared what I'd said in the meeting. I appreciate that. I'd like to guide you on the things I'd like you to share. So when I said I was really pleased, she said to me, did you get custard? That was not the whole purpose of last time's talk. I did get custard, and I'm hopeful again. But, so we picked up on these things about hospitality. I'm going to give you some chewy questions that's going to touch on hospitality again. Um, but we talked a little bit about food. Um, having fish finger friends, not being about performance in terms of when we're kind of every day coming together, including people. Family, we talked about that key verse, lonely set in families, extending our family, the whole thing about family around the table. Do you remember that, that story? That chap who'd had this visitor coming in, and he said, what had affected you over the years of our relationship? And he remembers a particular day this guy came, and everyone was fighting, <laughs> snatching this, snatching that. There's normally a fight over the ketchup in our house. Um, and he said it was, it was that natural, authentic experience that spoke more to him than all of the theological discussions they'd had. And, and opening our homes and our families in that way, really key. Fellowship, that whole special spirit-filled ability to connect, which meant that one of the persecuted people that Paul, uh, Saul, late known as Paul, had been after, been chasing after, was able to say the first thing he said is, brother Saul. That whole factor that, that he could, he could uh, show a new way of being that wasn't natural. And that whole idea of hospitality, no class, no race divisions, all those things. We see all these things happening. Um, so let me go for some chewy questions. Because I could see last time you liked all that discussion. Lots of fish finger conversations were had. I was challenged by people. I want to give more than fish fingers. That's fine. That's good. Um, let me throw some things out. Now, I, this comes with a health warning, right? The health warning is this. I am not saying I'm giving you the right answer. I just want you to think. Because some of you will be offended. But you don't have to be offended. You just have to consider things, all right? Let's see what we've got here. Oh, oh, obviously. Oh, there we go, it's there. Carpets and shoes. Right. Some people like people to take their shoes off when you come to their house. Right? It's, it's a thing. I know there's some cultural things, and I, I don't want to address those particularly, but some people have, some of you choose to have light carpets. Well, that's interesting. Um, when, when I go to speak to a faith group that I don't know, I, I dress differently. I, I wear a suit. I want to be respectful. I, want, I don't want my clothes to get in the way. I turned up. Um, a number of years ago, with a colleague at a group in South London. South London. Anyone here from South London? Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, they're more or less French. But um, <laughs> you just don't know. Actually, with this colleague, as we went through the Blackwall Tunnel, she locked the doors. It was very interesting. <laughs> so we arrive in this, this house. I'm in a suit. 
Uh, the other thing, I, I, if I can be a little bit personal, my feet are dramatic, shall we say. They <laughs> have a whole ecosystem, potentially, around themselves. My, my mother always insisted I had leather shoes because it has a kind of, I don't know, soak, soaking kind of thing. So, yes. So I arrive at this house to speak to this church group, I think on faith and mental health, which they were going to get a shock. Um, and, and he said, oh, could you take your shoes off because I have this special rug. So I'm standing, delivering in a suit and with my socks. I forget if my toes were hanging out. I felt stupid, <laughs> really stupid. And I think sometimes some of the things we do, whether it's carpets or other things, we're more focused on the thing, the carpet, than we are the people. Now, I know there's different ways of taking that. And, uh, and I'm sure we have lots of discussions about it. Very happy to do that. Um, but I've got friends that um, they've got a big house. We like going visiting as a family. And, and they're, they're two sisters in their 70s. And uh, they were hosting a teenage Bible study. They, the, the folk came to do it. But all the kids coming for this Bible study were not from church families. Unchurched kids coming for a Bible study. Now, quite frankly, it's quite hard to get, you know, people to do Bible study, even church kids. But they were, and I was asking them how they do things. And, and I realized they've got really light carpets. And I said, how do you handle that? You know, we talked about shoes a bit. But they said, you know, one of the reasons we don't worry about spills and things like that is we don't have any red drinks in the house. <laughs> now, I think that's interesting. It's a really practical thing. They, they take away, rather than, you've spilt something. Dab, dab, don't rub. Some of you remember that. <laughs> dab, dab, don't rub. <laughs> A whole host of you that have been around for about 15 years, reckon, dub, dub, don't rub. Um, they don't, they've taken away the source of the problem, so you can, you can throw drinks up in the air and do everything there. It's just a really interesting practical response. I like that one. Okay, good. So, uh, no red drinks. Right, next one, garlic bread. Okay. Um, I'm not a big fan of garlic, right? There's a certain family that I went on holiday with, and they were into garlic. So much so, I think it does things to your innards. Anyway, do you know, historical fact, apparently you could smell the Roman army from two or three miles away, right? Some of you are the same. Right, now, um, the worst thing is secondhand garlic, isn't it? Tube travelers, hot day, oh my goodness, the, the central line when people are emitting garlic stuff. The problem, with garlic, the problem with garlic and garlic bread is, what, what's the magic thing that you can do to stop you worrying about garlic? <laughs> there was a various responses. You eat some yourself. So my, my family love garlic bread, and I don't really like it. So I have to eat a piece of garlic bread so I can stand being with them. <laughs> so it, what it means is that I get the knobby end, crunchy bit, and I have, it's like taking a tablet. So I, can, so I can stand. So these are some of the things I do. Garlic bread so I can stand being with my family. Right. 
This one's a bit more interesting. Really interesting, we were encouraged there about leaders laying on hands, anointing us with oil and that kind of thing. I had a conversation with, uh, with someone during COVID, during the early part, and I said, it's interesting. People have not been calling for the leaders to come and pray and anoint them with oil. And they said this, they would know not to. Well, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, to go and technically to go and lay hands with someone on hands with someone and anoint them with oil. That was all well, that was against the rules. But it says in the Bible we should do it. I know we could have an interesting split now. I'd love to do one of those things where you yes, no, should you, shouldn't you, right now, see what the thing's going. But it's interesting. These are, these are chewy things to chew over. I've laid hands on all kinds of people. I've anointed hands. I'm, you know, I'm not even got the, in the position to do it because I just see, I want to do the thing. I want to see people healed. Who wants to see people healed? I want to see people healed. I'd like to see people healed of COVID. Yeah? There's all kinds of risks and all kinds of stuff to, related to that. But did we even think about it? That's the thing I want to think about. Here's another one. Um, Romans 14 talks about, it talks about eating meat. I've shared this before, I know. Uh, eating meat uh, that's sacrificed to idols. And it says, uh, or, or just meat generally. And it says, be careful you don't judge those. Or sorry, be careful you don't despise those who don't feel free to eat it. And those who don't feel free, careful you don't judge. It's interesting, the verse hits both sides. There's no right way. But I, I keep coming back to that with things like, um, particularly during COVID, you know, do we wear masks, do we not wear masks, do we meet, do we not? And I've had to keep on saying to myself, Daniel, are you despising or Daniel, are you judging? And I think that's a key thing to consider. How did we, it was great to hear from Emma and Hannah last week talking about the different controversies that we faced, all different ones, over that period of lockdown. And, and part of the thing about this verse is it just says, it asks us to have um, an open heart, the way we're dealing with each other, to understand there's different ways of doing the things. So, so all those things, they are just there to provoke and to get you thinking, right? I'm not saying there's a right answer. Yeah, because I change my mind sometimes. I can't, I can't even say my answer is right. So those are things, because partly what I want us to be doing is to be having proper and real conversations with each other. Cool. Right, shared life as commitment. This is what we're particularly going to look at today. And, oh, let me go back. David Simmons is going to come and read. You know, I thought, sometimes I don't do enough Bible stuff in a talk, so I thought we would read an entire book of the Bible. Now, while David's coming, we could discuss how you pronounce the name. I go for Philemon, but apparently that's not right. What do you go for? Funnily enough, I used to go for Philemon until someone corrected me. Right. So, it's like Phil you. Lemon. Yeah. I don't want to do the message. There you go, David. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace to, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have an understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, <clears throat> an old man, uh, and <laughs> now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would like to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him then back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, rather as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and now as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me as a partner, Welcome him as if you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it back to me. I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. So refresh my heart in Christ. And confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Do prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. So the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well done, everyone. We just did an entire book of the Bible. Don't you feel pleased? It's good. Thank you, David. Yeah, go on. Give him. Let's bless him with a little clap. That's good. Right, okay. Lots of stuff there. And, uh, and I can say to you, go and read it yourself because it's really very quick, right? But it's a story um, about a slave owner and a slave. And uh, the slave has not uh, been good for whatever reason. He's run off. He might have stolen things. And he happened to uh, connect with Paul. He's come to faith and become really useful for Paul. And Paul would like to hang on to him, but saying, actually, I need to send you back so that you can give permission to him either way. So it's an interesting thing. And there's a couple of things. And I think this is a good story about, I'd say, shared life in action, because we see a level of the relationship there. We see an expression of closeness, which we see in shared life. So we talk about um, uh, Philemon, it's, uh, he talks about our dear friend. And he uses terms like that all the way through. There's a sense of closeness. Uh, and also, um, now I've got Onesimus. That's what I'm going for. 
Onesimus, and again, we see those expressions there. So we see closeness there. And then that expectation, interestingly, a positive response all the way through. Now, um, sometimes, as a parent, you look at the way you discipline, and then you reflect on your own parentage. Now, I know you're all very excited. You think I'm going to tell a story about my mother at this point, and I know how you like that, and both me and Dad said there's a rich seam of humour there, but I'm not going to. It will, one will slip out, I'm sure, at some point. But one of the things I know, that sometimes when I've been remonstrating and bringing some kind of correction to my children, I think, I don't remember it being like this for me and my dad. I think it was more like what Paul does here. He says, I could say all this stuff to you. I think, actually, all the things that Paul says there, I could command you, I could do these things because you owed me. I think that's in there, so we know that he could do it. But I think he had to just ask and say, I kind of want you to do this, and I'm, kind of, I'm not going to command you to do it. It was, it was, there was a love between them that he had every expectation that... Uh, Philemon would uh, do what he wanted to do. And I think that's a very powerful picture of uh, love and correction, because there is a bit of correction going on here. Um, it's interesting, when you look at the commentary, there's this interesting line in my Bible which says, I pray that your participation in faith may become effective. Your participation in faith may become effective. It's a kind of quirky line. And I, I kind of, my eyes were attracted to that. And um, it's interesting that that whole sense is that you can have faith, but he wants it to be effective. It needs to have an outworking. It can't just sit there as a theoretical thing. It needs to be effective. And then we see the whole sense, interesting, that the word, uh, use a, a participation in my Bible. Others say partnership. Some people say fellowship. It's this whole thing of together, that our fellowship, our togetherness, our partnership should have an outworking, should be effective in that sense. And I, I think part of the thing we've got here is our commitment through shared life, or shared life itself, should have outworkings. It's not just theoretical. It should, it should change the way we are. It should mean that we serve and connect with others. And then finally, it's interesting. He says, he basically says, you know, you need to sort stuff out with this chap. Oh, by the way, I'm, kind of, I'm going to come and see you. Get the beds ready. I'm ready. And I think it's interesting. How many, I, I know it happens for me. When I'm corrected, I don't necessarily feel I want to hang out with that person at that moment in time. But Paul's saying, listen, doosh, 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 and I'm coming to see you. We're going to hang out. There's, there's correction, but there's no cooling of the relationship. Now, I don't know if we can always help our reaction when we're corrected, but... I would like to get to a place where we can have straight conversations with each other and then we don't have to have a huff afterwards. And I think partly it's to do with the frequency and honesty of exchange that we go through. And I think that's really key. Right. A number of years ago, I was talking to um, a senior, a uh, mature Christian in our network. And I was saying, but you see this problem, this issue within the church or within some kind of situation. Why don't you do something about it? And he said, I don't love them enough. Wow. He knew there was something going wrong. 
but he didn't love them enough to correct them. I was in all kinds of shock. <laughs> it took me a while to work it out. And finally, I, I worked out, actually, my problem was partly that he needed to love them enough to correct them. But the point is here that our correction, our changing, our challenging each other comes out of love. And that's really key. So, with commitment, with shared life, there is a sense that we are tangling with each other. I didn't really want to talk, I could have, you know, we did great doulos teaching on correction or admonishment, that kind of thing, but I'm talking about being, you know, when, you, when you're in family with each other, there's always things that you're kind of changing and tangling with each other. And I think part of the thing is about tangling. Now, I want to give you a picture of the opposite of that. I'm going to ask Heather to come, and she's going to tell us a little story from, um, from her time at Faith Action. So, Heather, you are... Oh yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to interview, because I'm going to... Okay. Yeah, you don't know that. We practice, we practice differently. I'm going to set the scene. So, you're at a reception desk. Yes. Yeah, but it's a slightly odd reception desk, because there was another thing. Yes. Go on, tell us about that bit. So we were holding an event, a faith action event, in a venue. So what we hadn't realised before was that the venue wanted to take the name of everyone that came through the door for their own fire regulations. But then three feet away, we were then going to take their name again for the registration for our event. It wasn't ideal. So in comes this lady. Mm. And a bunch of others. Um, and I assumed, I had thought that I had seen her talk to the security manny and give her name. Um, um, and so I said, oh, hello there, uh, can I take your name, please? And she went, oh, I'm trying to be mindful. You've invaded my personal space. I was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And then uh, 30 seconds later, she made her way over, or made her way over to the table to take down the name. And I said, I'm really sorry about that. And she said, well, what you did there was you caused me to self-harm. I was like, so very sorry about that. Um, I didn't mean to do anything wrong. I understand as well, you know, there are people that have um, situations mentally and things where having too many things on the go at once is not good. But it was not my intention to make her self-harm. Yes. There you go. Um, Heather, Heather, just stand up and just look at people in a minute. Now, Heather is one of my favourite people, but at times she does remind me of cartoon characters. <laughs> and you know, sometimes cartoon characters, when they say something, their eyes go blink, blink, and you go jink, jink. And I think Heather was there that night going blink, blink. I really don't know what you're doing. So you caused me, you invaded my space by asking me a question and caused me to self-harm. Boy, we've been work, trying to work that one out for ages. Um, and, uh, but actually, you know what? I kind of think it's a little bit of a picture of the world today. You've, you've interrupted the thing I wanted to do at the time I wanted to do it. In fact, I suspect, because it was a multi-faith event, I suspect the, the faith philosophy of that person is part of the philosophies that have invaded our world. And if we're not careful, invade the church and say, no, 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 I need my space. I need to have myself controlled and all that kind of stuff. Yeah? Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Right, okay, getting in your space. See, we can't help 
if we're in relationship, get in each other's space, okay? The other thing I keep coming back is this whole concept of orphans. And it says, it says in Hebrews, it says the Lord disciplines or the Lord chastens those he loves. Yeah? So what does that mean? If you're not disciplined, if you're not challenged, you're not loved. In fact, I think you're an orphan. And we see that again and again, that orphan spirit. Yeah? Jamie talked a couple of weeks ago about it takes a village to raise a child. So, those who are outside the village or outside the community of faith are orphans in that sense. In fact, there are those amongst us that have not bothered, that we've not bothered to discipline or to disciple. The word is the same. And therefore, we're excluding them. You know, when someone comes and, and invests and puts through the bother of, of tangling with you, that should be and probably is an act of love. But when they say, I can't be bothered, or I don't love them enough, that means we have second-class citizens amongst us. We have orphans amongst us. That's a, that's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing in itself. Of course, we don't like correction. Therefore, we don't like doing it to other people. We don't like interruption. Um, if I really was going to add to me chewy questions, I was going to talk about messaging rather than phone calls. But, you know, there's enough of you that have worked for me in faith action that you can hear what I think about that. But just, you know, we just need to... We don't like the phone ringing because it interrupts us. It causes me to self-harm. Yeah. I won't go. I'm not going to go into that one too much. I'm going to keep that one down. Right, so therefore, oh, there we go. So, therefore, we see that serving is enacted commitment. Now, one of my problems I had is it's, it's using PowerPoint, it wants you to lay things out linear, but the thing is, they, I don't think you have commitment without serving. I think they come together, it's a bit of a mishmash. So, here's some of the things. We know, historically... Christians were the people who went into plague areas to minister to people. Their commitment meant they served. Yeah? Um, a number of years ago, there was a missionary on furlough. That's the first time I heard the world. 15 years ago, furlough. Now we all talk about furlough. But furlough is where you kind of have this break. So he was, he'd um, arrived in the local Ilford area. His wife had just had a, their second child. She was kind of in that um, postnatal kind of depression-y type of place. It was very low. He needed encouragement. And he thought, I'll just get in the car and I'll drive around and maybe I'll see a church that I feel to go in. Um, that Sunday, the setup team was headed up by a guy called John. Now, John as he was doing the setup, felt ill and said, right, I've done setup, I'm going to go home. As he drove away, and I think as he got home, he realized, I've got the church banner. <sighs> Who looked for that banner? No, 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 I'm going to go back. He went back and put the banner up, right, and then goes home. The missionary chap sees our banner, comes into the church. <coughs> it's been late, I'm going to be a bit emotional. I'm going to try and hold it back. <laughs> Comes into church, meets us lot. When the preacher stands up, it's Mark McGrath. Mark McGrath was a guy who ministered to his church in Cornwall when he was a lad. God had made that banner get there. 
That's serving had ensured the fact that he could be part of our community. And it was the serving and the commitment to do that that made that possible. It was the serving that made the relationship. And Heidi and I fellowship with him and his wife for the period they were there. He, John could have said, I'm not going to be bothered with the banner. Mark McGrath could have been there on a different week. But he came in and... So, because when you've only got three months, you need to plug in quickly. So, that was a powerful thing of how serving made an effect. Um, this discipleship and discipline has got a great opportunity within the workplace. And I had a... a a young girl working for me for a period of time, her name was Emily. And her boss was a person of changeable moods. Um, and we always knew it was terrible if she wore her lipstick of a particular color on a particular day. And uh, Emily came to me and said, you know, such and such has been pretty rotten to me and whatever. Now, Emily had gone away from faith, was back in faith, and she was hungry. I can say it's one of the most, the most fruitful discipleship experiences I had because we got to work things out in an apprenticing fashion. And as I talked to her about how she was going to come and bring this confrontation, we went through these different things. I said, Emily, it's not about you getting your own back, getting your justice. It's not even about um, correcting. It's about you loving that person and bringing your correction out of love. You know what? As I said it, my mind started to go through all the correction I'd done in recent time. I thought, mm, I think I've got a standard to go. Because sometimes God takes hold of you, and you say things that you don't realize is not from you, basically. And I think that was a powerful example of those things. We come back to that verse we said, so that that fellowship, that koinonia, that partnership in faith might become effective. That's key. Right. I'm not going to go through all of this now, but how does this affect witness? Classical writer talks about hearing people talk about the early church, and it says, see how they love each other. It's the relationship, the way the church is together that gives a witness. And, of course, Jesus commanded us and said, by this they will know you. In fact, the Amplified Bible says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love and unselfish concern for one another. So we see, and there's lots more we could talk about in terms of witness, but we see that core of committed, straight-talking, loving relationship makes a difference. So what should we do about this? Firstly, I think we have to come back to that whole thing. God, are you giving me people are calling for people to be included within my sphere, within my household, within my family? Or, God, are you giving me to someone to be included, involved? The thing I said right at the start, Holy Spirit, empower me. Let me see stuff through a new lens. Let me see, we just see that whole thing, that, that, that infilling the Holy Spirit made a difference and it became God-enabled love. So those are the things. We keep coming back to that again and again. We need God to empower us and to help us live for him. Great.
Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities, and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk, or Twitter at Lifeline UK.